Jason Cloud, I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And today we're talking about trees. I love trees. Good. I'm gonna make them look awesome and then rip them apart just like the Bible does. I am Groot. <laughs> All right, let's let's do this. So we've talked a little bit about trees in the Bible and have pointed them out in some ways as being what? Spiritual locations. Yes, yeah, sacred sites, places where God seems to show up or Abraham seems to gravitate towards. They seem to be like spots where God occasionally appears. So we've talked about that a few times. We're going to talk a little bit more, go a lot deeper into that because we're actually going to see the Bible like this topic is going to evolve a little bit. It's going to start kind of positive and make its way into a negative. So what you're saying is we're going to the root of the issue. Ah, this guy. So um, it all started Genesis. Well, actually, we could go back to the beginning of the Bible. We have a tree, right? Tree of knowledge, good and evil, tree of life. And they these cut down to make a wardrobe, right? <laughs> no. You're reading the wrong book of the Bible. <laughs> Which so, can be found in a different universe. Get it, Dardia? Yeah, I got it, Casey. <laughs> Nobody did it not get that. Thank you. All right. At the beginning of the Bible, we have these trees. Tree of life, tree of knowledge, good and evil. They happen to be, if you think about it, sacred sites, right? Because yeah. already we're in God's presence in the mountain of Eden, the divine place where God has rested and dwelt in. Um, but there's also this tree here. There's a serpent-like spiritual being protecting it, almost as though it's like a sacred site. Or at least like, you know, seraphim, which is a kind of angel, means like fiery serpent. So it's not weird that there's a serpent here in God's presence. So there's a dragon. Fiery serpent, dragon. You can go in Revelation on us now. Okay. Uh, but like seraphim of sorts, and it seems to be around a sacred tree almost as though possibly it's protecting it. I don't know. Although it clearly has ulterior motives and is not really protecting it, if, he, if that is why he's there. But either way, we have sacred site, a tree, spiritual being. Uh, we then fast forward to Abraham's story. Uh, where God tells him, go to the land where I will show you. He goes, he stops at the Oak of Mora, the Oak of the Teacher is what that means. And then the teacher shows up. God shows up. And Abraham builds an altar because this is now a sacred site. This isn't just a tree. This is like a place where he's found God. That site is going to come up again. That was the beginning of Abraham's story, going to that tree. I know we talked about it like a month or two ago at this point. We've done a lot of episodes on Genesis. But that was the first time it showed up. Now because you guys and myself don't pay attention to any genealogies or to any any cultural national names in the Bible because they, they just blur. Uh, we don't notice this but this tree at Shechem the Oak of Mora, the Oak of the Teacher continues to come up. Jacob, who's a few generations removed from Abraham, is going to go back to that very tree. God told him to leave his idols behind, and Jacob is going to bury his idols at that tree. So, leaving his idols behind. Joshua, all the way into Joshua, 
he's going to place a monument at that same tree, the Okamora. They take the law of God that they've recently kind of written out. They put a stone there as a monument with the word of God. It's like a continuation of the sacred site that Abraham's entire journey started from. In the book of Judges, that same tree is going to be called the like diviner's oak. And what's divination? A school of magic in D and D. Within your D and D school of magic, what kind of things do you learn in that direction? The future. Words okay. from God. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So divination is essentially. Uh, you actually do see some weird spots in the Bible where God's people are instructed to use divination from God saying you're going to use this to talk to me right now. So, so like for, <laughs> that sounds weird. Do not go practice divination. That is against the Bible, but there are some spots throughout the Bible where God allows his people to use it. So unless given permission by God, don't use divination. Essentially. Like you see Samuel using Urim and Thummim or something like that. Um, <laughs> even in the New Testament, there's one spot where they're trying to decide who's going to be like, another disciple among the apostles and it seems like they more or less flip a coin in a sense that's sort of kind of divination because they're relying on something physical here and expecting god to give the end. okay so wait you're saying two-face was using divination no uh jonah okay jonah draws a short straw was the short straw correct Yes, he was the reason the storm was there. So God used, in that moment, they were kind of drawing straws to see whose fault is this, and God hacked the divination <laughs> to be like, it's Jonah's fault. So like, there are these rare, weird moments where God allows the things within these things to become. But divination altogether in the Bible is a evil thing because you use it to contact the dead, false spirits, false gods. Uh, but God occasionally does hack it. I like to think of the medium of indoor, not Star Wars, uh, where there's this medium, uh, Saul goes to him and, and he's like, all right, lady, I need to talk to Samuel, the dead prophet. And this should not, Samuel should not show up. She, he should end up talking to like an evil spirit, but Samuel does show up <laughs> and it freaks even the medium out like she screams like what you know like what is I see <laughs> I, Like she's not expecting this in my opinion. It's because God hacked the divination, <laughs> right? He tried to contact the dead through a medium whose job is to contact the dead, but God just like all right, Samuel, Saul wants a word from me. Why don't you go tell him a word? He's going to die. <laughs> like, it's like, go ahead. And so God hacks the divination and uses it, but Saul was already sinning by going there. So again, divination bad, don't do it. Why are we talking? We're on trees, right? Okay. Yeah, how did we get here? Because this tree, the Okamore, the Oka the teacher, and judges is going to be referred to as the diviner's oak. Mm. In other words, this is there's this idea that someone might go to this tree and try to communicate with God and talk to him or something. 
receive information, pass it along. I know that sounds weird, but we actually do see another spot in Judges um, where that happens. Her name is Deborah. She's a prophetess. And Deborah always sits under a palm tree. It's Deborah's palm tree. <laughs> but what is she called? She's a prophetess. Wait, this, there's oaks and palm trees in the same spot? Tree, well, this isn't the same area. This okay. Time. So there's just, we see another example in this case of a prophetess whose job is to hear God's voice sitting under a tree that is known as her tree, and people go to her to receive judgment about different things, and she's trying to offer God's judgment. So the way that it's being played out is her palm tree is like the sacred spot to meet with Yahweh, to hear God's input on judgments, and then to speak it out over people. So that starts to bring together Abraham's same story, right? He goes to these trees searching for God, hearing his voice, trying to live out what God says. We tracking? This is all weird stuff, I know, but so Generally, far, so far the trees have kind of this positive connotation with. I'm just waiting for them to start walking and become ants. <laughs> No, no, that's, uh, that's not, no. <laughs> uh, there's actually, in Judges, there's also a moment where a guy wants to become king of Israel, and he creates a whole conspiracy, and then uh, he raises these people up who are going to make him king, and they go to the Oak of Moray, to the diviner's tree, and they make him king, which is like straight-up blasphemy. Like, we've seen this kind of stuff before, right, where people invoke God's name and attempts to take on power over people. That's what this guy does. He becomes king, ordained for it, right in front of God's tree, though God never put this mark on his life. So he legitimately Book of Eli did? He Book of Eli did. He, he found a way to try to take God's name in vain to bolster himself and to get everybody's attention. Uh, so that that's more or less what's going on with the Oak of Moray, the Oak of the Teacher, the Oak that was at Shechem. We see it come up not just in Abraham's life, but several other people's lives over time. At least that same area. Uh, but we've already learned that wasn't the only tree in Abraham's time. When him and Lot needed to separate, he went to the Oak of Mamre, right? So Lot goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham goes towards Oaks, where he's met God before. So he's still, like, pursuing God. Um, and that brings us to basically the passage that we were going to talk about today uh, that I've just kind of branched out a whole lot more. You branched out? Nah. I'm so rooted in puns today. <laughs> Shoot me a vine, you guys. Not too much. Nah. <laughs> Oh, before we get to today's passage, though, remember, it's the Oaks of Mamre where he's living. That's where God and these two angels just walk right up to him on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. So, like, this was, like, again, a spot where he's running into God. But then in Genesis 21, 33, we get to a point where Abraham has too much stuff, and uh, uh, King Abimelech asks him to leave the area. So he does. Uh, but when he gets to Beersheba, where he's now going to live, he plants a tamarisk tree. Anybody know what these are? Nope. Essentially, it's an evergreen of sorts. So it might look different, but it, it's got the same kind of pine needle type feel to it and whatnot. But it's interesting. As soon as he gets to Beersheba, this new place where he's going to live, he plants a tamarisk tree and calls there upon the name of the Lord. 
doesn't this already match these feelings that we've already got throughout time with Abraham? Trees and altars, trees and calling out to God. Like And then wells. And and wells, yeah. He's also gonna have wells going on here. But when he gets when he gets here, first thing that he does is plant a tree, which so far has been kind of these moments of divine encounter with God. So, um, there's other spots too. Joshua is going to plant a tamarisk tree right next to the sanctuary. So again, you see God's presence in the sanctuary with a divine tree of sorts. Uh, the angel of the Lord is going to meet Gideon at a terebinth, a tree. Uh, when Saul's family, when Saul and all of his family die, they're going to burn their bodies, but then take the bones and bury them underneath the terebinth tree, almost as though they're like hoping to send them to heaven or something like that. Because <laughs> this is where God shows, God comes down from heaven to meet with humans sometimes. Let's so try to shove his bones in there. So they're trying to cleanse his remains? Or trying to like push him towards where they hope that he might go, something like that. And then the, you know, there's a weird story where David knows he's going to go attack the Philistines. He's going to know because he hears the sound of angels, or he hears the sound of marching in the balsam trees uh, on top, uh, above him. So it was almost, again, this trees connected with spiritual beings marching on it kind of feel. So it's quite a bit of that. Anyways, those are all the positive spins. Let me now just shift into the negative. Have you guys ever heard of Asherah? No. No? So, it would help to understand first, Asherah is a deity within the Canaanite religion. The Canaanite religion is the one that has Baal and all that. Now, Baal is a big threat to Israel's religion because they constantly betray Yahweh and go and worship Baal. They constantly leave God behind the Israelite religion and switch over to Canaanite religion, like all the time. So, when, uh, when they start intermingling their thinking with Canaanite religion, they start bringing Asherah into their holy spaces. Asherah would be like, she's a goddess, um, and they would essentially set up poles or trees in sacred areas that represent her. Sometimes they'd even put it right next to like the altar to Yahweh. So you're like, what, why? You've got God and then you have Asherah like in the same spot. Why? You have any th thoughts you would just throw out there on that? Okay, all right. So track with me here. Tell me if this doesn't make sense. Within the Canaanite religion, the one true God, the God of gods, the king of kings, lord of lords, the main guy, it's not Baal. His name is El. El in Hebrew just means God. Okay. And El is going to be used throughout the Bible. Anytime you just see in the Old Testament, like God instead of the Lord in caps lock, instead of calling him Yahweh there, they're just calling him El, calling him God. Essentially... Because they're intermingling with Canaanite religion, what the Bible is going to start trying to teach Israel is like, no, 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 no. Don't mess around with El and Baal and Asherah and all that. The one true El, the one true God, the one true God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings, it's not El. 
It's L. <laughs> it's not L, it's Yahweh. Now, you understand what they're trying to do there. They're trying to help them understand that the true God is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And if you think in the Canaanite religion that the true God is L, then they're trying to say, no, the true L is Yahweh. Just, just tracking? So if you mess up your thinking, what, what some of the Israelites are just going to do is like, oh, okay, so the Canaanite L is Yahweh. So now they're putting it in the hierarchy. So we've got yes. Yahweh, Baal, mm -hmm. Asherah. Yes. Instead of just Yahweh. Yes. In fact, uh, in the Canaanite religion, El is married to his sister, Asherah. And they procreate to create 70 lesser gods. So it's Greek mythology. It's Mesopotamian mythology which I'm sure Greek mythology is eventually borrowing from. But there's a lot of connections you should have already heard in what I just said. That's huh? why they put the trees next to the altars to Yahweh. Yes, because they're essentially saying, like, we're going to go worship El, Yahweh, and his wife, Asherah, is the way that they're thinking. Which God is like, how dare you? <laughs> like he, actually, he goes up to Gideon. He's like, that Asherah over there, cut it down. Use it as fuel for a sacrifice to me. <laughs> so, so Gideon goes and like chops down an Asherah statue and then burns a bowl on top of the wood from the Asherah. Like that's how God, that's how like tick God is about this. Like I'm not married to Asherah. I, I am the one true God. You guys are confusing these religions together and turning it into something it is not. I am Yahweh. Yes, I created all of the little G-gods who have become corrupt and turned against me, as Psalm 82 says. But not like that. Not with a, another God. I am the one true God. So they're taking their Canaanite religion... Israelite religion tried to blend it and they're trying to blend it and because of that they're ending up with this story where Yahweh is married to his sister procreating the 70 gods that rule over the 70 nations when the biblical story is there's only one true God El Yahweh who has created all other spiritual beings of the 70 nations remember that whole episode mm -hmm. and they rule over those nations they've become corrupt and so god will judge them but they're that's not the story israel's telling anymore they're mixing it together and i don't know about you but i see that all the time today where people look throughout all these different religions and then rather than just follow christianity it's like i like this piece over here i like this piece over here Maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. So I'm going to take it all and put it in a blender. So it's kind of like the coexist bumper stickers. Yeah, where, where you just you have different symbols of all the different religions. Yeah, all together. Or people who try to say like all religions are the same, or God is the God of all these religions. When in passages like this, God's like, no, that's not the case. Burn Asherah to the ground and make a sacrifice to me. So Asherah though is often pictured as a tree or pictured as, uh, sometimes it's just a pole, which the idea is again, like a pole is kind of like a tree. It's just like, it's like a, uh, they're, they're making a tree of, out of their own hands type thing. So with all this being said, um, 
it seems quite the case that part of the reason you keep seeing Asherah show up all throughout the Old Testament is because Israel is just, they're, they're mixing religions together. They're not just following God anymore. This is why the prophets have to keep coming up and say, Dang nabbit, will you listen to it? Like it's, this is not how we live. This is not what we do. And all the kings of, of Israel are going to constantly make new idols and throw them up all over the place because they marry everything together. Um, that's not the story God tells, and it's not the story that we should be telling either when we're just trying to throw it all in a blender and try to create one big religion out of it. Anyways, in today's episode, I want to kind of paint a broader stroke of trees in the Bible. We start positively. We see them as places where we meet with God. And then suddenly Asherah comes into this and trees start getting known as the opposite. So Uh, they start out as you're painting happy little trees and they turn into not happy little trees anymore. Are you quoting or punning or something? Yes. Bob Bob Ross. Oh, I've never seen that. I thought you were talking about happy tree friends. No. Which I was like, oh, that's just gruesome. No, no, happy little trees, it was a Bob Ross joke. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) It is quite possible you have lots of questions after this episode. Talk a lot about trees, a little bit about divination, a little bit about the false gods, a little bit about the... Deuteronomy 32.8 view of the Bible. If you've been tracking through our episodes, this probably makes sense. If this is the first one you ever watched, you're probably going to need some clarification. So... Feel free to join us on the Discord. We can answer some of those clarifications for you. Or if you want to like, comment, subscribe down below. We'll try to see if any of you can beat me to be the first comment on the video. Um. And now, we're going to make like a tree and leaf. Don't worry, Jamin's bark is worse than his bite. Hey, don't make me chop you down right now. You know there are trees in Greece where I get my olive oil at a place in Lansing? Those trees are 4,000 years old. 4,000! Trees in Greece and Lansing. I go to Lansing and buy this olive oil that is harvested from trees that are 4,000 years old. Oh, okay. there we go. You, Sorry, you blurred that together enough to where I'm like, <laughs> yeah, the way, did the he way teleport from Greece to Lansing somehow? <laughs> the spiritual gift of olive oil. <laughs>